Uh, of course, today is International Women's Day. And um, here in Alberta, as we said, uh, the two leaders of, well, the only political parties that have seats and have a reasonable expectation of getting uh, enough seats to form government in the upcoming election are led by women. And I- I've said here on the show a bunch of different times, be it Rachel Notley or Danielle Smith, you can be critical. Uh, you should be critical. In fact, that's part of your job. But you need to understand that, at least through my eyes, for a woman to get to where these two women are, where they have both been premier of this province and they both have a chance to be premier once again, um, you better have a lot of respect for that. It's, I mean, in terms anybody becoming premier, I think, is an extremely, I mean, it's a one in a million, if that. And for a woman to do it, the odds go up even more. I think it, it it's it's worthy of all of our respect. You don't have to agree with them politically, all that. That's fine. But at bottom line, um, just to make that sort of achievement in life is something that uh, we should marvel at. So the current Premier of Alberta, Daniel Smith, joins us now on the phone. Uh, Premier, thank you so much for joining us. Appreciate your time. Hey, Shay. Happy International Women's Day. And to you. Listen, I wanted to ask you because, you know, uh, you've been around politics for a while. You were out for a while. And I wonder, we know for women in politics particularly, it's pretty toxic out there. It's pretty awful. Um, is it better or has it gotten a lot worse? My perception is it's way worse now than when you were first running around at the ledge. You know, I, I think that social media has yeah. really made it worse. And and we used to actually have more of a moderated debate that occurred on shows like yours, um, on talk radio, on television, in the letters to the editor pages of newspapers. But uh, it's basically a free-for-all on Twitter and yeah. Facebook. And there really isn't any kind of self-editing or self-censorship. And so what happens is that when you get a polarized discussion going, you can end up with some pretty awful things being said on both sides. It's, I, I wish we could get to a level where we have more decorum. I wish we could have a little as much decorum as we have on these kinds of, yeah, of yeah. forums. But I think that it's it's been the social media that has, has gotten so much worse since I left politics. I, I joined Twitter in 2009, so it was still a pretty new medium then. And it's uh, it's it's certainly not gotten any better. No, it certainly hasn't. I think you're absolutely right. Um, you know, I was saying, I think it's really cool that, you know, barring something totally unseen, and we're talking the miracle of all miracles when it comes to politics, Alberta will elect a woman uh, as premier of this province uh, at the end of May. And I, I think it's really important that we note that because it is still, it, it's very unusual that the two choices are women. Do you think, you know, there's added challenges that you've faced over the course of your political career because you are a woman? I mean, has it made it that much tougher for you to get to where you are today? Well, it's very funny because uh, Rebecca Schultz does a Prosecco and Politics event. We did one in Calgary last week, and we're doing one today in Edmonton. And I, I, I said to the women, it was funny, when I first got elected in 2009, my parents, my dad is just my biggest fan. Um, he was he went to the, the men's room after I got elected in 2009, and he overheard some guys talking, oh, I don't know if Alberta's ready for a female <laughs> premier. And what was so funny is that in 2012, that was going to be the choice. It was me or Alison Redford. Yeah. Uh, and so now here I am, second time, and also facing another uh, female rival. And so Albertans are going to get female premiers, uh, a female premier after this one, whether they like it or not. <laughs> and so I think that's good, actually, that, that we have. It was funny. I was, I was this morning at a, an International Women's Day event that Junior Achievement put on. Uh, their, their celebration this year is for Indigenous women and entrepreneurship. So the, they've, got, uh, they've got a great program plan. But um, a, Education Minister Adriana Lagrange pointed out that she is only the second female education minister that this province has had. 
that. So we've actually had more female premiers <laughs> and more female lieutenant governors because I was sitting beside Her Honor Lakani. And so we've actually had more. I don't. I think we've had at least three female lieutenant governors, and we, yeah. we now have had a, a three female premiers. So I think we might have to make sure that we broaden out our ranks in the ministerial offices too. I, you make a very good point. It is kind of interesting that the highest job has been occupied by women more than more than some of the ministerial positions. I know we've only got you for a few more minutes, and I do appreciate your time. I know you're you're very very busy. So I want to touch on a couple of issues that have come up this week, if I can. First of all, you met with Edmonton's mayor yesterday. He's optimistic. He's he's encouraged by what he heard, but he did also come out saying we need some help. Um, you know, some of the challenges that we're facing in our city. His quote was uh, they're related to houselessness, mental health, addictions, drug poisoning. Can't be tackled by the city alone. It's the province's responsibility to provide support because it's provincial responsibilities. We've heard very similar rhetoric out of Calgary saying we need help. Has the province dropped the ball? Are they meeting their responsibilities when it comes to some of the social disorder and issues we know our cities are facing? We're in the middle of an eight-year plan. We're only halfway through, and sometimes what you're what you're doing is you're trying to build capacity to make sure you address the problem in the long term, while you're trying to deal with the immediate problem. And we've got an acute crisis caused mm-hmm. by the last two and a half years of disruption, more mental health, more addiction, um, and and I think more social isolation. And so one of the things that we've done, we have a recovery-oriented system of care. I've got a, a team of, of ministers working collaboratively to address the whole spectrum of mental health and addiction all the way through to recovery and then reintegration, wraparound supports, first job. We have our first recovery community that, we, that we've opened in Red Deer, and that's going to be a model for 10 other centers that we're building out. I was speaking at our Leaders Dinner event last night in Edmonton, and when we came in, it used to cost $40 per day for a publicly funded um, bed for mental health. We eliminated that. And so we now have um, absolutely free, no user fees for uh, mental health and addiction. We've got a phone line that you can call, 211, to get immediate same-day counseling service. And our, our vision is that anybody who wants addiction treatment should be able to have access to a bed. When, when we first came in, there was uh, the ability to treat 19,000 people. We've already increased that capacity to 39,000 people. And we're just going to keep on going until we've solved this crisis. So we, we want people to understand that that is the, the compassionate side, but we also need to deal with the public disorder. Yeah, it's exactly. part of the reason why we've uh, rolled out sheriffs embedded in Calgary and Edmonton. And uh, Mike, is, uh, Mike Ellis, our public safety minister, shared some early stats with me that, look, uh, it's making a difference. And so we're going to find a way to, to roll those out on a weekly basis so people can see the kind of, of uh, effort is, that is happening, but also the achievement of when you have police presence and people know that the and the province and the city are working together, it's going to make a, a major difference in safety on the ground and on the streets. No, no question. It, it will, and it will help with perception too. But I mean, you know, you can't police your way out of this. I mean, like you're talking about, there's a bunch of other things that have to be done in terms of support services. I mean, police may be a short-term solution and may make people feel better, but ultimately we got to deal with the root of the problem. Yeah, and that's why I said that's where we yeah. began. Uh, we started that four years ago. We have an historic um, investment in mental health and addictions. We've got it, got it as a standalone ministry. It used to be $87 million a year. It's now $275 million a year. And we're de- dealing with mental health from the full spectrum. We just announced $92 million for a center yeah, in Sherwood Park to expand their offerings to youth in, in, medicine, or in uh, Calgary and in Fort McMurray. Because if, if you don't uh, treat those early manifestations of mental health, they can then become 
chronic. They can then turn into addiction and then they can then lead to terrible, terrible outcomes. So we're investing to make sure that our, our youth are going to also be able to, to be on a pathway to recovery when, when it comes to treating mental health as well. So we're pretty excited about that too. I wanted to ask you about uh, yesterday. We were, we were speaking with um, Mary Jane James, uh, the CEO of the Sexual Assault Centre of Edmonton. And, um, you know, they, there were some issues around the budgeting. And I think we got, we got clarity on exactly what happened in terms of funding and, you know, what was offered and what was accepted and all the rest of that stuff. But they were headed to a meeting yesterday with the ministry because, you know, part of the discussion was there'll be more consultation, there'll be more offers of help, we'll work collaboratively. The meeting was cancelled like less than an hour before it was scheduled to take place with no offer of meeting. So um, they're, they're sort of confused. I mean, is that support there? They, they feel they were really short shrifted in the budget and were looking for a chance to follow up and didn't get it. You know what? Um, I, I always put things towards the minister to be able to make the decisions. And the minister in this case is uh, Minister Jeremy Nixon. I think they were trying to meet with a different minister. And so we said, go back to Minister Jeremy Nixon. If you, uh, if you want the 4.2 million that we've offered, then, then, uh, it stands ready for us to be able to work collaboratively with you and continue the conversation. So that offer still stands that uh, if they want to meet with Minister uh, Jeremy Nixon, I'm sure he'll be happy to meet with them. They were looking for 14 million, almost 15 million. And, uh, they say they would have gladly taken the $4 million. However, there were so many strings attached to it and so many unreasonable expectations that it wasn't worth it. It wasn't going to help. It wasn't, it wasn't feasible. Uh, is there a possibility that, that some of those strings can be cut, Premier? You know, I'll talk with Minister Nixon about that. Yeah, I faced a similar challenge, right? I mean, when I was uh, negotiating with the federal government, they gave us substantially less than we were asking for, too. But I had to put it through the lens of, is this $518 million going to make a difference in the life of Albertans? And I, the answer was yes. And they were asking for a number of different new performance measures. And I just said to them, can, can we work on what these performance measures are going to be and have a collaboration on that? And they said yes. I mean, you, I think everybody wants to make sure that money is being well spent. We also have an obligation to taxpayers to make sure that we're getting the outcomes. We have an obligation to the Auditor General when we're using, uh, when we're giving money to third parties to make sure that we're measuring outcomes and being responsible. So I, I think we can have a conversation to make sure that it's not onerous. But I, I think people want to know what, what mm -hmm. are you achieving with the dollars being spent. I don't think that's unreasonable. Uh, in terms of dollars, uh, last one, and then I'll let you go, and I appreciate your time. A report out from the rural municipalities of Alberta yesterday saying, you know, towns and villages in this province are now the back taxes from oil companies has reached almost $300 million, 53 million unpaid last year alone. I know the oil patch is important economically. Uh, for God's sake, is it not reasonable to ask them to pay the taxes? I mean, how do we get into this situation and how do we fix this? We're talking about hundreds of millions of dollars now. We are going to have a lot more to say on this, and I can tell you that uh, Minister of Municipal Affairs, Rebecca, Rebecca Schultz, has been relentless on this over the, the last number of months since she's been in the position. Um, and I can say, I can tell you that, um, as well, the industry associations have been helpful too. So what we have discovered is that payment plans have been established from 25 companies for municipalities that will receive about 48 million in, in taxes owed. And that's a portion of it. We want it to we want to get to 100% compliance. And so we'll be looking at all of the measures that we can do. We've, we've given people enough time. Like, I understand that when everybody was, uh, was stressed and we had the downturn in the economy and downturn in oil and gas prices, I understand that that put a lot of pressure on everyone. And uh, we, we were all suffering from a revenue decline. Things have turned around. 
and I've given the industry a number of months to get into compliance, and now now we're going to have to start pushing it for uh, further. And so we're we're going to keep on working on that, but our goal should be 100% compliance on uh, municipal taxes owed, and 100% compliance, by the way, on landowner lease payments owed as well. That's another problem. So um, I know that the the minister will have more to say about that because we're we're getting impatient. Okay, so the the nudge nudge as the municipalities association called it yesterday that hasn't been working. You know they're looking for sanctions and the rest. That's possible. That's on the table. Something that's being looked at. We are having a full range of conversations. I don't want to prejudge what yeah, okay. cabinet and caucus are going to pr- approve, but I can tell you that Minister Schultz is highly motivated to solve this problem. Premier Smith, I appreciate your time. I know we've kept you a little longer than we were supposed to. Thanks so much, um, and we'll chat again soon. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance (laughs) recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.